Welcome, and thanks for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org. chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through it, is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that it is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I just need to take it in for a minute to see all of you. Uh, I didn't know if I would um, walk up here and start to cry Uh, in part just because I get to see your faces uh, or because I am not getting to see the faces of those of you who are watching from home. Uh, But it it is such a joy to hear the saints singing. It's such a taste of what we will experience one day when we're in heaven, whether you're at home or those of you who are in the gym. I'm gonna wave to those who are in the gym or those who are right here. It doesn't matter where we're worshiping. Uh, one day we're going to all see the one face that's going to matter, and that's going to be the face of Jesus, and I'm so excited for that day. But until that day, we're going to do some of these things uh, because we care about each other. I want to just thank so many people who served. Uh, There were folks here yesterday that were cleaning this place like crazy. Obviously, the ushers and greeters were serving. They had a hard job this morning. Um, You know, Uh, Some of you might not know who Elaine is in our church. Elaine is a wonderful saint of the faith. Elaine's walked with Jesus longer than I've been alive, and I don't want to tell Elaine where she needs to sit. And so uh, some ushers had to, but uh, she has joy, and many of you have joy. So let's, let's jump into God's Word together. We're continuing in 1 Peter. Remember, uh, 1 Peter is a book that was written by Peter, that's why it's called First Peter, to a people who were experiencing increasing persecution. So it was in a day where the persecution of the church was happening. Uh, they were dispersed throughout the region and area uh, uh, that's now Turkey. And 
Uh, So they were experiencing this opposition, and he wanted them to have hope. He wanted them to stand firm. So as we walk through this book, we are going to see truths that we need to hold on to that will anchor us in the midst of trial, in the midst of struggle. We currently in our nation are in the midst of many struggles. There's many things that are going on in the, the news, whether it's the struggle that's been going on in years years of racism and how to deal with that or COVID-19 or how to deal with that, how to deal with social unrest, how to deal with political uncertainties. It, we go on and on and on. Many of those things hit home for you. Many of those are the subject of trial for you and there are many other things that aren't on the news that are real trial for us. Temptations that we are experiencing. Maybe it's opposition for our faith. Maybe it's a health challenge that you're experiencing. And when those things come, we can be tempted to lose sight of what is true. And Peter has much to tell us. So this morning, what we are going to focus on, the hope that we're going to focus on this morning is the hope of our salvation. Because hope is something that you have confident expectation that something is coming. And so that's what hope is. So we want to have a confident expectation in the return of Jesus and the, the realizing of our salvation. Well, our first point this morning is this. God established our hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We are are given this hope. It's a living hope. But it's founded and rooted in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So an event that happened in the past is what secures the hope of our salvation in the future. Because when we're walking through the trials of life, it, it gets cloudy. It, it's kind of like, you know, when you're trying to, we're trying to look at somebody like through your hands like this, like you can see a little bit, it gets cloudy. You, you miss it and sometimes you can wonder, is it really there? Is it really going to happen? And in those times, we have to know that that hope that we have in the future, when everything changes, when, when our bodies are going to be changed, when we get to worship with Jesus, when all the, the sin isn't going to be anymore, when there's going to be no hurt and suffering anymore, we, when we don't believe that that's going to happen because the trial just seems to cloud our, our minds, we have to look back. We have to look back and know that was secured for us at the cross of Jesus Christ. It was secured for us when Jesus rose from the dead. When he rose from the dead, it secured our hope of deliverance from sin. It secured uh, the fact that, that death will be no more. He defeated death at the cross. So sin was paid for. Death was defeated. And Jesus gave life. God gave Jesus life as he rose from the dead. And God has now given you new life in Christ. So Jesus' resurrection secures for us a new spiritual life. He secures for us a resurrection that's to come. So when you feel the cloud, when life is crashing around you, 
You need to come back here and go, no, no. I know that this is coming because of what happened. I can say, blessed be the God and Father of Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. Not according to anything that you have done. It was according to his great mercy that he caused us to be born again to a living hope. So it's, it's growing. The longer that we walk with Jesus, that hope grows. The, the more time that we spend in his word, the more time that we worship with the saints, we grow. It's a living hope, so it strengthens us. We're strengthened as we anticipate that day. So when the trials come, the longer we walk with Jesus, the less the trials have an effect on us because we know we have a living hope. And we know it's rooted and has been secured for us in the past and it will come to pass in the future. So we need to remember this truth. Our hope is anchored in the past because Jesus rose. Our hope remains in the present because we know that Jesus lives and our hope is completed in the future because we know that Jesus is coming back. So know that our, our hope is, is, is grounded in the resurrection of Jesus. Number two, God guarantees our hope by the promise of an inheritance. Take a look at verse four to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. An inheritance. I don't know if any of you have ever received an inheritance, or I might even take the next step to say, have any of you uh, experienced the reality that you might receive an inheritance in the future? Someone, you, might be, you might be named in someone's will. You might get something. There might be a big cash out of something that's going to come or you might receive that wonderful lamp that your grandma had in her house or whatever it may be. You anticipate an inheritance. And maybe some, that inheritance has been spent. For others, maybe the inheritance has been completely lost because of economic uncertainty and things were lost in the stock market or whatever it may be. Maybe, unfortunately, there's a situation I'm aware of that there was an elderly individual that was cared for by someone and that individual stole everything they had, leaving an older individual with little to nothing to live on and nothing to leave to their children. Our inheritance cannot be affected like a worldly inheritance. Our inheritance does not pass away like a worldly inheritance. Our inheritance is categorically different. Look how inheritance is described. To an inheritance, to an inheritance that is imperishable. That means it's not going to perish. It's not going to die. The world may be destroyed. Our bodies may pass away, but our inheritance is never destroyed. It's never lost in an economic downturn. Do you realize that when we're in heaven with Jesus, there's not ever going to be like a recession 
or a depression. No one's going to be freaking out because the stocks are moving. Everyone's going to be constantly pouring in. If there were a stock market in heaven, everyone would be investing all the time because there would always be good news because Jesus is on the throne. So we can know that the inheritance that is coming for us is absolutely sure. And it's not going to perish. Our inheritance is never going to spoil. It says it's un, undefiled. It's not that is imperishable, undefiled. That means it's not going to be subject to decay. It's not going to be stained by sin. No one's going to squander it. Our inheritance will never fade says it's unfading. It's not going to wither or dry up. It's not going to lose its value. Recently, I went with my kids to the base of the bluff. Uh, there's an area where an individual years ago tried to stop erosion rather than putting rocks like we see kind of along the beach now. He just started dumping cars over the edge. And so we navigated down there. I don't recommend that you go down there without, without being wise. No one got hurt. No one got cut. Everyone made it back. Not everyone in our family decided to go on the, on the journey. But what we discovered when we were down there were these old cars that just looked like they were cool at one time. They were all rusted out clearly had been pillaged from anything of any value. Anything that looked like it had value was in a precarious spot that looked like if we tried to go get it, we might not return from the journey. But these things had great value at one time. But they had obviously decreased in value in a short period of time enough that someone just thought we should just dump them over the cliff and now they're rusted and gone and may even endanger individuals if they're not careful around them. Our inheritance will never look like that. It doesn't get spent. It doesn't fade away. And our inheritance is being kept safe. Look back at the text. Our inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power is, are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This inheritance that we are going to receive that's being guarded for us is the, the day when all this passes away, when we experience life as it should be without sin or pain or suffering, when reward will come for the things that we have done, when all, all the, the mess that we see is washed away. This world only has the promise of uncertain riches. But we have a promise of riches in heaven with him and it's being guarded. Talking about being guarded is, is like when an army is guarding a stockpile of those things that are valuable to them. That's what it's talking about, being guarded. No one can steal it because this is being guarded because God is carefully watching it. God the Father is carefully watching it. His power is infinite. That's the one who's watching this. 
So if you're wondering, oh, is it going to be there in the midst of the trial when it's coming? Oh, is it? I'm not quite sure. Have I done something? No, like God is guarding it. But he's more than just guarding that. He is guarding you because it's being kept for you. It's personal. One theologian said the context here shows that the word kept can mean both kept from escaping and protected from attack. So not just protected from the outside. That's what we often think about when we think of someone keeping something valuable for us in a bank or whatnot, that they're keeping that there safe. But it's also keeping us from running. And perhaps both kinds of guarding are intended here. God is preserving believers from escaping out of his kingdom and he is protecting them from external attacks. So it's not just being kept for you. You are being kept for it. Remember, it was according to his great mercy that you were born again. So he is keeping you for that day because of his infinite goodness. He wants to bless you, not because of something that you've done or something that you've earned, but because he is amazing. And you are being kept for it. God is continually using his power not only to guard your inheritance, but to guard you, to sustain you. So when struggle comes, when trial comes, whatever that looks like, he is there sustaining you to arrive at the end. Remember we talked about last time, nothing can snatch you out of his hand. So you can know that when it comes crashing in. Friends, this has been a truth that God's people have treasured for years, that the inheritance is coming. His people, when they wandered in the wilderness, they were sustained by a promise. And that promise was this, that there was an inheritance that they were going to receive when they entered the promised land. And the people in the first century who were listening to this letter being read to them, they were making their way through a world that was becoming hostile. And what did Peter want them to know? He wanted them to know, no, there's an inheritance out there for you that's being kept for you and you're being kept for it. We need to hold on to this truth, friends, in the midst of uncertainty. Hold on to the truth when greater persecution comes. It's no secret, even though there are lots of huge things hitting the headlines right now, there, there are other headlines that are hitting, whether that be in Africa or the Middle East or right here in the United States. Being a Christian is not the thing that's prized in our world. There's increasing hostility coming apart from a revival, which I'm praying that a revival comes to our land. When we, when we keep ourselves in Christ, when we, we call ourselves Christians, there's hostility that's coming and we need to have, be grounded in this truth, friends, so that when it comes, we can rejoice Because, and we need to find hope in Christ in the midst of the trials when they come. That's the third point. Jesus Christ is our hope in the midst of trials. 
Look at verse 6. It says, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. That seems like an oxymoron here. He's going, in this you rejoice. Here are these great truths that you need to rejoice in, but wait a second, though now you are grieved by various trials. Which is it? Like, rejoice or grieve? I don't know about you, but I, when I'm grieving, I don't know that I feel rejoice. And when I'm rejoicing, I don't know that I feel grieving at the same time. But Peter shows us that grief and joy can exist in the Christian life simultaneously. Grief does arise because of the many difficulties and trials that we experience in this fallen world. But faith looks to the unseen reality beyond this present existence and rejoices. So when it gets hard, when you're opposed because uh, you are a Christian, or when other hardship comes your way, we do need to look beyond now to to trust in what he has done, what he has done for us. Commentator Ed Clowney said this, the whole nature of suffering is changed when he realizes that his anguish brings honor to Christ. He says the museum of the desert in the Cavines Mountains of southern France commemorates the sufferings of the Huguenot martyrs. When Louis XIV revoked the Edict of Nantes in 1685, Protestant public worship was made a crime. Men caught at secret worship services in the fields were sent to the galleys. Chained to a rowing bench, they slaved at the oars until they died. A replica of one of the great galley oars hangs in the museum today. Underneath is a model of a galley. Beside it are inscribed the words of a reformed Christian galley slave. And he said this, My chains are the chains of Christ's love. How does someone say that? How does someone say that? when they are in the midst of a situation where the hard work that they are doing every single day, back-breaking work, is going to end in their death. How do they rejoice? They rejoice because they look to Jesus. Rejoice because they look up to Christ. They rejoice because the trials that they are experiencing, they see as good and for God's glory. Because our experience of trials reveal the work that God has done in us. See, trials, they aren't like a math test. Though for some of you, I'm sure a math test is a very real trial. And you are grateful when math is done. But it's not like a math test where you take it pass-fail. No, what's talked about here is, is a refinement. Look at your Bibles. 
If you've been grieved by various trials, verse 7, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This testing is not pass-fail. This testing is like what happens when they take precious metals and they heat them up really hot and they refine them. They burn off all the impurities so that all that's left is that which is, is valuable. And so when we walk through trials, God is burning off the impurities. God is burning off our selfishness or self-centeredness. God burns off our self-reliance. God burns off the things that we think are gonna provide hope and security. He burns them off so that all that's left is the work that he began in us. According to his great mercy, he caused us to be born again. So when, when those things, those trials happen, don't think, well, I'm in here because I'm being punished for something. No, there's one who was punished. His name is Jesus. He went to the cross to pay the penalty for our sins, and he said, it is finished. No, what you are walking through is something that God is doing to refine you so that you will more reveal the, the work that he has already done in you so that all that's left is his. So it's good. Trials burn away impurities in our faith. And God sends trials to strengthen us. Our joy is actually strengthened through suffering. Dr. Wayne Grudem said this, God's purpose is in in present grief, God's purposes in present grief may not be fully known in a week, in a year, or even in this lifetime. Indeed, some of God's purposes will not even be known when believers die and go to be with the Lord. Some will only be discovered at the day of final judgment when the Lord reveals the secrets of all hearts and commends with special honor those who trusted him in hardship, even though they could not see the reason for it. They trusted him simply because he was their God and they knew him to be worthy of trust. It is in times when the reason for hardship cannot be seen that trust in God alone seems to become most pure and precious in his sight. God's getting stuff done in you through the trials. He's revealing his work and he wants all of you. And we have joy because, because we look to Jesus because Jesus points us beyond our trials. Rather than looking at the thing that's right in front of us, oh man, this is, oh, I can't stop thinking of this. No, Jesus lifts our gaze and we look up. We look up. And we have joys because we look up and we see, no, there's an inheritance. And that day is going to look different when suffering is going to end. And Jesus knows every detail about our suffering. In Psalm 56, 8, the psalmist says, you have kept count of my tossings. You're right off. 
Do you resonate with that? The tossings? You ever been to- you ever tossed at night because you, things were just so hard for you? Or when you went to pray, you just kind of felt like everything was tossing inside of you? It says, you kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? He knows every detail about our suffering, and he wants us to look up beyond that suffering to him. And believe in him. Look at verse 8 and 9. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. There's a strong sense of resting in Christ, looking beyond, looking up above the challenge that's in front of you and looking at Christ. The first step in Our discipleship process, we want people to abide in Christ. We want every believer to abide in Christ, to spend time with Jesus, to study his word, to be in prayer, uh, to be encouraged by the saints to abide in Christ because we know apart from him, we can do nothing. And so as we abide in Christ and have daily fellowship with him, we have a stronger sense of resting in him rather than the waves that are rocking the boat be the the goal of our focus. No, we look to the shore and we see him there. And we see him there and it doesn't matter what's going on around us because he points us beyond our trials because one day we'll obtain the outcome of our faith, the salvation of our souls. There's a joy that's so profound that we can't express it with words. When we grasp what Christ has done, when we, when we look and we see him and we, we long for him and as we anticipate the being in his presence, I know I longed for this day. I did. I longed for this day when we could be together. I had this picture of it being like the best Easter service ever right? Like we're going to all show up and there's like going to be extra people here. We're going to be throwing confetti around. We're going to be jumping up and down. Frankly, this is a little less than that. Like there's a bunch of people missing. And, and it's kind of like, oh, oh, this is... But on that day, on that day, it's not going to be like that. Though I anticipated this day being more than it was, it's still a wonderful day, but we are here this day to point to that day and look beyond this day. May the things and the challenges that we're facing, let's not lose it or waste it. God is using them to give us a longing in our hearts for a day where we're not going to be hindered in any way, shape, or form. And we're not going to wonder who, who have you been with recently or have you been sick or we're not going to wonder about, you know, what the uncertainties are. No, we're just going to all run and we're not going to know what to do, actually. We're going to get there. We're going to be like, should I jump up and down right now? Should I fall on my face right now? I don't know because Jesus is right here. That's what we're looking to and that's what we want to be reminded of whenever we gather whether it's online with one another, whether you're watching from home, whether you're here or in the gym or in your small group, in person, or on the phone, doesn't matter. We want to be reminded. There's a day coming when Jesus will return and gather us to himself and we will realize our salvation in its fullness. So let's be amazed at the hope of our salvation because it is amazing. 
we are experiencing something that others who hoped in God longed to experience. I know we're longing for the day when we can be with Jesus, but look at your Bibles. It says in verse 10, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully. They searched the scriptures. They sought God. Inquiring, they were inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and subsequent glories. They were a group of people, the prophets, who were longing for the day when this Savior would come. They were looking, they were searching prior to Christ going to the cross, and we live on the other side of the cross. We have the account of Christ in the Gospels and the implications of the Gospels, and we have all this revealed truth, but we have gotten to experience Christ, that which they were longing for. And even angels are longing to look at it. Look, it says it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Angels, they're not small beings. When they show up, people fall on their faces. And they're straining they wish they could see. Why can we see it? Because of his great mercy. Because of his great mercy. When we were dead in our trespasses and sins, because of his great mercy, he caused us to be born again to a living hope. So we can see that the angels can't because they've just been with him. We can see this amazing mercy up close and personal. And we get to experience it not in an anticipation. We get to experience right now that we do anticipate that day. So friends, as Paul said, do not lose heart. He said it in 2 Corinthians 4. Do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal. So let's stand firm in the hope of our salvation. Know that that hope was established in the resurrection of Jesus. It's guaranteed by the promise of our inheritance and hope is found in Christ in the midst of our trials. Let's be amazed at this, friends. So when you go home today or as you move on with your day, if you're already at home, when you forget the words that I've shared, you will have these words. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you 
who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, friends, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. We've got that promise and that hope. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, God, that according to your great mercy, you caused us to be born again. And I pray right now, God, for those who are either here or watching online, if they have never been born again, that you would move on their hearts. And friends, I'd encourage you to respond to the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. God caused them to be born again. Lord, I just thank you that you have caused us to be born again. The world wonders why in the world would we go to all this trouble to make things work so that we could gather Oh God, would they hear the message from us about the glorious name of Jesus Christ, who we will worship one day, who has transformed our lives, and that we are living. We are in, in the midst of a living hope that's growing in us and grow in us all, our affections for Christ each and every day. And we just thank you, Father, for the privilege, for the privilege that we have to worship. We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. Why don't we stand and worship together? Thank you for listening to the Harvest Lakeshore Sermon Podcast. Harvest Lakeshore exists to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. For more information about us, visit harvestlakeshore.org.